Welcome back to Talk of the Town on 99.7 and 1450 WHTC on WHTC.com and on the WHTC app for your smartphone. Once again, here's your host, Gary Stevens. Welcome back to Talk of the Town for this Monday, January 15th. It is the third Monday of the month, which means we are joined by the state Senate Minority Leader from Lawton, who represents much of Allegan County in the state Senate, Eric Nesbitt. He makes his way up north today. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, Gary. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good holiday season. We certainly had. We certainly had. Before we talk uh, uh, some business, uh, saw the... uh, grandkids just after New Year's, and you now they are growing up big, and you had your daughter in, <laughs> in the Senate chambers. Yeah, uh, first day of session was last week, Wednesday, and I brought my uh, four-year-old uh, Catherine up, and uh, boy, I was tired at the end of the day, but uh, <laughs> I think within three minutes after leaving the Capitol on Wednesday afternoon, uh, she was out for the whole ride back, the whole hour and a half ride back. But as long uh, as she was out and not you were yeah, out, no, <laughs> no. But uh, she's yeah, just such a such a gem, such a joy to had had at life, and just you know, always asking that why question. Now she'd be a good reporter. I think. Oof, well, <laughs> a good reporter should be asking why. Not not coming with a bunch of preconceived notions, but uh, yeah, no, sorry for being a little late coming up, but uh, as they said, it's always better to be uh, safe than late. And uh, I think my sister always says I can either be on time or bring the kids, Mm. but I don't have that excuse right now because uh, the kids are at home warm with, uh, with mom. Wise, wise (laughs) decision. And it also puts everything in perspective with when things get a little hectic, shall we say, in the Senate chamber to have the little one there knowing there's perspective that, you know, put your priorities in order. Yeah, it is. Um, it is something where, uh, having, having a family and having young ones, it, uh, definitely, uh, you know, reminds you, you're only here for a limited amount of time and how, what's the best you can do with that limited amount of time and what kind of legacy are you going to be leaving? And, uh, when you have some young ones, uh, around that, uh, really gives you a perspective. And now as a grandpa, it probably gives you a little different perspective. I'm, I've been told that uh, if you knew how great grandkids were, you probably would have been a little nicer to their parents. <laughs> but I'm not going to rewind the tape. Can't do it, no. won't do it. No. If you got a question for State Senate Minority Leader Eric Nesbitt, he'll be happy to answer it at 616-395-1450. 616 This past Friday, it was the Consensus Revenue Estimating Conference, and officials are expecting the state to collect $31.5 billion for the fiscal year that will end on September 30th. It's nearly 1% less than last year, but $418 million more than was estimated this past May. Officials expect $32.3 billion in revenues for 2025, a 2.5% increase over this year. But my question is, wait a minute. The increase is 2.5% in increased revenues. What was the income tax hike <laughs> from the top of the year? Yeah, no, I mean, the, the uh, governor in- increased the income tax by $700 million uh, at the beginning of the year, and they try to go through every 
who possible right now there's a, a lawsuit uh, that's going through the court system. Uh, some um, legislators, some business, small business owners, and some individuals, uh, along with the uh, the Mackinac Center, filed a a lawsuit to say when the 2015 law was written. So when government brings in a lot more money than above inflation, any population growth that they have to return it back to the hardworking taxpayers in a form of lower income taxes. And so that was triggered a year ago uh, and the income tax cut uh, for all working families was cut by $700 million. And uh the governor working with Dana Nessel came up with a very bad, you know, a not right interpretation of the, of the law. And, uh, so that's going through the law, you know, going through the court system because, uh, uh, and now we're dealing with a $700 million tax increase going into this year. And every, uh, Democrat in the state house and Senate, uh, voted to actually, uh, stop the, you know, tax cut to begin with. And, um, but they didn't get, uh, you know, uh, the kind of, um, what's called immediate effect on that bill a year ago. So they went ahead and, uh, they went ahead and, and increased the amount of corporate welfare that the governor can give away to a lot of these, uh, uh foreign corporations, these profitable companies, uh, while also trying to stop this income tax cut. And now we see a $700 million tax increase. And at the time, at, at a time when, we're seeing huge inflation. We're seeing uh, just the prices of, of groceries. Uh, you know, even the price of gas. I mean, it's nice to be at you know three ninety five, you know two ninety five a gallon instead of three ninety five. But nonetheless, three years ago it was two thirty five a gallon, and so that that definitely puts a pinch on on the pocketbook. And then just the I'd say the shrinkflation going on in the grocery stores too. What used to be sixteen ounces is now ten ounces, and uh, is. 40% more expensive, it seems like. And it's just, it's really making a, uh, a challenging time for a lot of working families here in the state. And that's something where the Consensus Revenue Estimating Conference came out is even though we've seen an increase in some income over the last few years is that it's been eaten away by inflation and actually net income has dropped because of inflation. And so... I think this is the exactly wrong time to increase taxes, and that's something that the the governor and the majority Democratic Party has uh, has pushed through. And my hope is that we can keep this promise of an income tax cut. Yeah, it's one thing for revenue; it's another thing to make sure that the uh, government is spending well in- the the people's money the most responsible way, the most effective way, and Eric, the most transparent way too. Yeah, and and this is something where. Um, you went from a year ago a nine billion dollar surplus to a now a billion dollar surplus. So they've spent eighty percent. I mean, you, you, you've, you, they've really disseminated it. They've really crushed through it. And so now uh, going into the and, and what have we seen is is a return. What what were the actual investments in hard infrastructure and water and wastewater? Uh, permanent tax cuts for all working families instead of just a select few that you. Uh, um, that the governor, you know, worked to, to push through. 
And so if we're going to grow the economy, grow the population, make Michigan the best place to start a business, to have an education, to build a family, uh, we need to be competitive with surrounding states. And over the last 20 years, we've stayed the same, whereas other states such as Indiana have grown by 800,000 people. Ohio has grown by nearly a half a million people. And so what's, what's the difference between what, what's happening in Michigan and we've only gotten worse over the last five years. I mean, you had the Detroit Chamber Conference last Thursday where the governor's head of the Population Commission and the head of the Detroit Chamber, who have both been, you know, from my understanding, you know, Governor Whitmer's supporters say, you know, the house is on fire and we're actually in a worse position now at five years into Governor Whitmer than we were five years ago. We were actually gaining population uh, under, under uh, in the mid-teens, 13 to 18, working age population. But after these COVID shutdowns and, and then going into, uh, and then these, these tax increases and not prioritizing hard infrastructure, I think this is what we see. If you have a question for State Senate Minority Leader Eric Nesbitt, he'll have time to take a couple, 616-395-1450, 616-395-1450. Earlier this month, the Unemployment Insurance Agency was crowing about some of the reforms it had done, saying it's far more uh, transparent and that they are going to enact some new software to get rid of some of the outdated software, the Snyder era software. They made sure they uh, used the term Snyder era software in this. It was a lot of crowing by the UIA, but for those who had asked the UIA to do some reforms, probably crowing about things that are on the surface seeming to be, I would say, window dressing. I was reading the Detroit News article this morning talking about how people can't get um, set up meetings, either on phone calls or in-person meetings with the Unemployment Insurance Agency uh, because they only give you a week in advance on the scheduling. And they and, and it says that we'll go forward to future times, but it doesn't show any other times months in, 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 in advance. And so, again, the Unemployment Insurance Agency, uh, after – giving away $8 billion of, of money to people, you know, to crooks and, and, and people overseas. And I guess the Nigerian princesses were, were getting money instead of us, them promising money to, to us, that what you, what you have is an is a organization completely in disarray. What you did have under the Snyder administration starting in 2011 is that they had a $5 billion hole uh, after that, the, you know, Michigan's uh, Great Recession that we went through. 07, 08, 9, 10, out of money, borrowed a ton of money, uh, went ahead and have rebuilt it pre-COVID. We had one of the top three uh, most stable unemployment insurance you know, uh, agencies in the nation. And, after, in, and through COVID, when all these security uh, you know, processes were taken away, so they tried to get money out as quickly as possible, what happened is that those that cheat the system, those that were in you know, want to do fraud to the system, were able to get around, uh, around it and able to draw down $8 billion of money that wasn't theirs. And I still have people in the district that I'm trying to work with that never even, that were, their business was forced to shut down and they still haven't been able to get their, what's due to them from four years ago, three years ago. 
And I think that's just just disgusting the way that they've, instead of trying to do the real policy work that's needed to fix the system, they seem to be way too focused on PR and public relations than doing what's right. Which leads to a story that MLive had under behind its paywall last week. Should the state reimburse businesses that were forced to close because of COVID-19 health protocols? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. It's at the state Supreme Court right now, and it's something where at the end of the day, this is the problem when you have an all-powerful, all-knowing, supposed government that can Pick, pick and choose winners and losers. And they did that. They showed that, you know, they, they kept abortion clinics open, but they, you know, they, they, they closed all these mom and pop stores. If you were a, the a barber plumber, shop yeah, up a, in Okemos. A, a plumber. I mean, if you would just go ahead and challenge the individuals and families and people, this is a free, free state, it's supposed to be a free country, and challenge them to do what's right, I think the first few months, these bowling alleys and bars, even if they were allowed to open, wouldn't see much business. But when people feel safe, when people feel that they can take, they can figure out their risk at, for themselves, those that are out are going to be figuring out that risk. Those that decide that they don't want to take the risk that can stay at home. And you had that in some countries where they decided that, you know, if you're under 65, you could, you know, it was an age stratification. If you're over you know, 60 with underlying conditions such as diabetes or, or overweight that you really, you know, should be staying away from contact. But how's that different from, you know, whether it's flu season or, or, or other types of, of sicknesses that are people that are immune compromised. Nobody wants to hurt other folks on purpose, at least shouldn't be, shouldn't be able to. That's why we have laws that are in place. But this is a real challenge is that businesses, real businesses were caught in the crossfire and the amount of, of damage that we've done long-term because of these COVID shutdowns and then the amount of money that was printed during that time that you've seen the inflation that, have, that, that has piped up because of that. And so the poor have gotten poor, the middle class have gotten hurt hard, and that what happens to all these businesses that you know, are, are either on the verge of bankruptcy or close to bankruptcy because of the decisions that the government had you know, made. Eric, on the 24th of this month, Governor Whitmer will deliver her State of the State address. It'll be interesting to see what she purports if what we saw from the reaction, especially uh, in the social media channels at the end of this past year and the beginning of this year, it was sort of trumpeting the administration's goals, saying we got all that we wanted in 2023. Let's try to do it again in 2024. Do you expect the same type of uh, remarks from the governor? My two cents is stop doing what they're doing because what they're doing is making Michigan less competitive, more expensive to do business in, more expensive to raise a family in, and having our our education system less accountable. And you've seen that over the last year uh, with the repeal of right to work, which means it puts a big close for business sign out for manufacturers around around the country. You see that by reinstating what's called the prevailing wage, which increases the cost of construction projects by up to 15 to 20% on roads and bridges. So that means you're paving 15 to 20% less miles of highway than you would have uh, otherwise. Uh, went ahead and passed um, this California-style Green New Deal that's going to increase the cost of energy by about $2,700 uh, per family uh, here in the state. 
you did, you saw them repealing some of these um, accountability measures in our schools, such as uh, uh, we had a, a requirement on third grade reading to try to incre- improve the third grade reading scores and making sure students are reading at grade level. Uh, that was repealed. Uh, trying to have at least some portion of teacher performance measured on student growth during the year. They, that was repealed uh, last year. And so what I would like to see, you know, and, and the governor, what they haven't gotten to is a $2 billion tax inc- payroll tax increase uh, that the governor pushed in August that they didn't, didn't get through, and that's a tax increase on all small businesses, all nonprofits. It's essentially a copy and paste of the Unemployment Insurance Agency and in trying to create a new multi-billion dollar behemoth paid for by employees and, you know, and, and, and employers here, here in the state. Uh, they're trying to say they're going to do something on prescription drugs when, in fact, all they're doing is creating a, a, an a, uh, impotent board that's not actually, that, that's probably going to be held up in courts for a whole time and will likely be struck down by the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution and won't actually affect the price of prescription drugs, but the governor wants to crow about that and say she's done something. We, we need to see some action at the federal level on, on the, these costs of prescription drugs. And then go... Going in, it's it's a bunch of doubling down because they've increased prices, you know, uh, along with you know higher taxes on all small businesses in the in in the state and individuals. That now they're you know the governor is going to want even more money and more authority to do a bunch of corporate welfare stuff to hand out to selected um, businesses, and I think that's the wrong way to grow the economy uh, and grow individuals, you know, families that want to actually have an education, retire here, uh, raise their family here in the state. If you'd like to be able to contact Senator Eric Nesbitt's office, especially if you are in Allegan County and he represents you in the state Senate, his office number is 517-373-0793, 517-373-0793, or go online to SenatorEricNesbitt.com. That's Eric with an A, A-R-I-C, SenatorEricNesbitt.com. Appreciate you making the trip up here, sir. Uh, Drive safely back. And if all goes well, we'll do this again in the month of February. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to to be here and and talk to folks around the uh, West Michigan area and look forward to staying in touch as we uh, try to make Michigan a bit more competitive. Happy New Year. God bless. It's bitterly cold in Iowa. The caucuses are being held for the Republicans. Who would have a chance against Donald Trump? Deborah Rodriguez has more with the CBS News Brief in a few moments, followed by WHTC News. We'll have Greg Olger's Hope College report coming up, as well as Brian Spencer's What's New Around Holland. And then at the bottom of the next hour, State Senate Minority uh, Minority Whip, Roger Victory of Hudsonville on 99.7 and 1450 WHTC. WHTC.